0: You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're
1: stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't
2: pass
3: on the Savage Lovecast. We had a great show in Vancouver this weekend. Thanks to everyone who joined the packed house at Vancouver Playhouse for Savage Love Live. Questions were asked. Questions were answered. Singer-songwriter Rachel Lark performed a killer set. Comedian Karina Lucas. Well, she is amazing. She brought the motherfucking house motherfucking down. Both Karina and Rachel will be joining us for Savage Love Live in Seattle at the Egyptian Theater on May 11th. Other upcoming Savage Love Live shows. Denver, San Francisco with Stormy Daniels. Chicago, Madison, Minneapolis also with Stormy Daniels and more cities. Go to SavageLoveCast.com and click on events for more info and to order tickets. But yeah, that wasn't what I was thinking. Something else happened this weekend. God, what was it? Cake. We had a giant chocolate sheet cake at the show in Vancouver. The whole audience helped me eat it. I think I'm going to order giant sheet cakes for all my upcoming shows because sheet cakes, they bring people together. But that wasn't it. What was it? Oh, yeah, right. The Mueller report was released. Well, actually, no, the Mueller report was not released. No one has seen it, and no one knows exactly what's in it. No one even knows how many pages it runs to. Unlike the Starr report, which started out as an investigation into a real estate deal in Arkansas and wound up being slash nonfiction about the sex life of the then-sitting Democratic president, the Mueller report hasn't been released. And if Donald Trump has his way, it may never be released. All we know is that Donald Trump's attorney general, Bill Barr, a man who'd attacked the Mueller investigation before he was appointed and whose attacks should have disqualified him from serving as attorney general and overseeing the Mueller investigation report, blah, blah, blah. That man, Bill Barr, sent a letter to Congress that essentially says, yeah, nothing to see here. And I'm so sure there's nothing to see here that I'm not going to let you see it, which is unacceptable. Despite what you may have heard, the Mueller investigation did not exonerate the president on obstruction of justice charges or any others. Mueller found no evidence of a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and Russia to swing the election. But Mueller did not make a determination on obstruction of justice, which is what Clinton was impeached for over a blowjob, not over a campaign by a hostile foreign power to swing an election and put a useful idiot in the Oval Office. And Mueller says that that actually happened, that hostile foreign power worked to sow division between Americans and hacked the Democratic Party's emails and attacked Hillary Clinton, all in a successful effort to put Donald fucking Trump in the White House. We aren't crazy. That all happened, and none of that was okay. Charging Trump with obstruction, the least that he's guilty of, Mueller left that up to Congress. But Congress can't make that determination. They can't make that call if they are not given the report, which William Barr may not give them. So, yeah, good show in Vancouver this weekend. Shit show in D.C. this weekend. It is also incredibly frustrating. So I want to get to your questions instead of thinking about this, because thinking about this is going to make my head explode. So I'm going to give the last word, at least on this subject, to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who tweeted out, as horrific as this president is, he is a symptom Of much deeper problems, he can stay, he can go, he can be impeached or voted out in 2020. But removing Trump will not remove the infrastructure of an entire party that embraced him, the dark money that funded him, nor the racism he amplified and reanimated. In order for us to heal as a nation, we all must pursue the hard work of addressing these root causes. AOC goes on. It's not as easy as voting. It means having uncomfortable moments and convos with loved ones, with media, with those we disagree with. And yes, within our own party, it is on All of us. Indeed it is. Oh, and one really great thing that happened this weekend, Vulture, New York Magazine's Vulture, named the Savage Lovecast one of the top 100 podcasts in the world. We're on our list with a lot of really great podcasts, a lot of really great podcasters, and we were so grateful to see the Savage Lovecast mentioned right there at the top. Thank you very much, Vulture. All right, coming up on today's show, on the micro-free edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your Qs, lots of my As, and then the Magnum subscription edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at SavageLovecast.com, twice as long and no ads. Comedian Kate Willett joins us to field a few of your questions with me. All that coming up on today's show.
4: Hi, Dan.
5: I am a straight female. 38 years old, in a long-term committed relationship with a wonderful man. We are super happy together and are building a beautiful life. We have a great sex life, and I feel safe and loved and secure in a way that I never thought possible, which is why I'm actually considering living out some fantasies of ours that I never thought I would feel comfortable actually doing in real life. Specifically, he has this fantasy of bringing another man into our sex life and having him have sex with me while my partner watches and then potentially gets involved as well. And this fantasy of my partners is a really, really strong one for him. He says he can't stop thinking about it while we're being sexual and while we're in the moment, he feels like it's something he really needs and it's a little bit consuming. And so as of now, it's just been something we talk about while we're having sex But I feel us moving towards the possibility of actually acting on this. So my question is, how do we go about doing this in a way that minimizes the risk for hard feelings or even possibly jeopardizing our relationship. Neither of us want to do anything that would jeopardize our relationship. It wouldn't be worth it to us. So can we do something like this without running the risk of really hurting one another or doing something that we can't take back? Or is that even possible?
3: There's the fantasy of wanting to see your partner with another person sexually. And then there's the reality of seeing your partner with another person's actually. The fantasy is really common, has lots of names, cuckolding, that's this plus humiliation, stag and vixen, hot wiving, hot husbanding, certain kind of swinging. People watch their partners, other people get off on it, but it's not maybe their main thing. This is a common fantasy. Now, it can go wrong. And when it goes wrong, we hear about it. It's just like that prejudice people have about non-monogamous relationships because every non-monogamous relationship, if you're straight, that you've ever heard about fell apart. But that's why you heard about it. The successful open relationships or non-monogamous relationships in straight land still to this day, by and large, for the most part, the folks who are non-monogamous and straight are closeted. So their friends may know people who are not monogamous, but they may not know they know people who are not monogamous. And everybody they hear about who had a three-way or did a cuckolding scene or attempted polyamory, they hear about the relationship when it falls apart and then they think, ah, you can never do that. It's too dangerous. It's too risky. Now, it is risky, of course. Involving other people in your sex life carries risk, but you can do it successfully and you can mitigate for those risks. And with something like this. And it doesn't sound like your partner has any fantasies around humiliation. He wants to see you with someone else. He wants to involve a third person, maybe involve himself as well. That's more on the hot-wifing, stag-vixening end of the spectrum. But there are risks there. You know, He thinks about this. He talks about it a lot. Maybe he even obsesses about it a little bit. But you can't predict how it's going to feel when you actually see your partner with somebody else. So that first time you want to minimize what that contact will be before the event he may think he's down for piv you and some other dude and watching and that may sound really hot to him and then in the moment he may have a really negative reaction to even pre-piv so i would encourage you the first time you do this with somebody else if you bring in another man to take piv and other really significant to youtube sexual acts off the menu that first time, maybe it's just you and him at a bar and you make out with some other dude on the dance floor. See how he feels about that. Maybe the first time you have somebody home, maybe it's that guy you met at the bar it's just oral. It's just rolling around. It's just mutual masturbation and no upgrading in the moment to PIV, not to make it hierarchical. PIV doesn't exist on a higher plane than other sexual acts, blah, 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 but no upgrading in the moment. If you guys have agreed going in that it's just going to be oral or just going to be mutual masturbation that first time so you can test the waters and then have those orgasms and sit with your feelings after the orgasm is very important because sometimes people experience post-orgasmic panic and regret Even if it feels right in the moment to want to go for PIV, don't. That first time, it is low stakes, less emotionally fraught or significant sex acts. And then you check in and see how you feel. And then the third or fourth time you do this, maybe then you go for PIV. You can also contain this. If there's a risk of you forming an emotional attachment, this is an out-of-town or out-of-time zone pursuit or an on-vacation thing and not something that you do at home. Now, when it comes to fulfilling a fantasy like this, if your partner isn't into it, if your partner is monogamous and wants to remain monogamous and doesn't feel right about or emotionally safe or sexually safe, having contact with other people, this is a fetish too far. I would put this in the fetish too far category. This isn't something that GGG, being good giving in game, demands of us. We aren't required to sleep with other people to take the risk inherent in sleeping with other people to satisfy our partner's. Kink. But when it comes to sex, we have to, I think, be on guard about our own kink phobia and sex phobia. You know, you identify and and there are risks here that can be identified that attach to doing this. There are also risks that attach to not doing something. The sex phobia in our culture, the, the sex shame and kink shame in our culture, we're all much more comfortable, if we don't think about it for a few minutes, with the not doing of something sexual. That's always the preferable option. That is the better course. Because then you aren't doing that dirty sex thing and then you aren't taking those risks. But, you know, sexual frustration and sexual resentment also pose a risk to a relationship. And if this is really central to your partner's sense of sexual fulfillment and you're otherwise fine with it, if you can figure out how to minimize those risks, never doing it also presents a kind of risk to your relationship. People will blow up or sabotage their relationships to get what they want sexually. I say that and people look at me like I'm crazy and I look around and I see that happening all day long, all the time. People will run off and see sex workers, no shade on sex workers to fulfill a fantasy that they aren't getting fulfilled at home and then it'll be uncovered and their relationship will fall apart or somebody wants to have that three-way they never got to have and they can't have it with their partner, they do it with somebody else. People destroy their lives all the time in pursuit of a sexual interest. Now, it's best, I think, if two people who are exclusive or monogamish, mostly exclusive, can have these sexual adventures together and be honest and open with each other about what's possible in the relationship and what's not possible in the relationship. And both are willing to pay that price of admission. You know, you can't have everything that you want. I'm not signing off on that concept either. But it's ideal if two people can make a good faith effort in the direction of fulfilling all of their partner's sexual needs and wants that they can reasonably fulfill. So can you reasonably fulfill this? Is this something that you want to do? Do you want to take him up on this offer? Do you want to be with another man in this context where he is enjoying it too, where there's something in it for him too? It's not just for you. But is there a part of it that is for you, that that, that appeals to you? And if there is, identify those risks, including STI risks, figure out how to minimize them. And again, the most significant risk here is that his reaction to the reality of this unfolding in front of him may be in conflict to how much the fantasy of it turns him on. He may have a very negative reaction in the moment, which is why that first time and the first couple of times, it needs to be low-bore, low-stakes sexual contact. Ideally, that first time you'll be fully clothed and out somewhere and you will let him see you flirt with someone else. Engage his reaction to that before you take any further steps toward fulfilling this fantasy. Hopefully not just for him, but for you too.
6: Hey, Dan. My girlfriend and I uh, have been in an open relationship for the better part of a year and a half, and we entered in an open relationship. I've always had plans to moved to New York at some point and we were not quite sure of when she was going to, to come with me. She moved here from New York and she had reservations about um, uprooting herself. And uh, while we were doing a show together, she met a guy and I was super supportive and they struck up a friendship and then she went to go visit him and I was super supportive of that. But then after she came home, um, they their friendship developed into a relationship of a romantic nature, uh, which I was not privy of. Uh, We talked about everything else in our relationship, how we will speak with other people, et cetera, et cetera. But this was kind of kept a secret until she said, hey, I'm dating this guy. And it wasn't a question of, can we explore polyamory? It was, I'm dating this guy, and it was a line in the sand. And it feels like he gets a lot of special privileges, that I don't. And it feels like I am by default polyamorous, but I hate it because uh, I certainly feel like a third wheel. And I don't know how to bring up that I would like her to curb behavior. At least we can talk about it.
3: So I had a question for you. I just listened to your call. What are the special privileges that your girlfriend's other boyfriend is getting that you aren't
2: getting? The only special privileges are, um, and uh, to be fair, things have changed in the week that I called you.
3: Oh, Oh, update us.
2: Okay, so since since I called you, um, I kind of expressed to her that, like, hey, you get to spend your weekends or whatever with him, and I don't get to contact you, because she made it very clear she likes it when I leave her alone and when his wife leaves him alone,
7: mm-hmm. when they're together.
2: But when we're making breakfast or after we have sex, or whatever, and she's texting him that made me feel really shitty it's like he, she has a boyfriend in her phone all the time uh, along with me and i just felt very unimportant um and i did let her know that and she didn't even realize that was affecting me
3: ah okay so you communicated you used your words are you feeling better about this i did now
2: <laughs> i am feeling i am feeling better i i'll tell you the one thing that i'm kind of stuck in because we're we're reading a lot of poly material and i'm getting it like Mm -hmm. she was dragging me along to polyland i was a pud and i it it really hurt but i'm getting it the only thing that sucks now is it was a secret and it's the lying by omission that i'm just still having a lot of trust issues now like i support the relationship and i think it's great but the fact that it was kept a secret for so long and then an ultimatum was made of I have a, another boyfriend now. The only answer I had to give was yes or no.
3: Right. She laid that out at the price of admission for you to remain in the relationship with her, that going forward, you were going to have to sort of retroactively put your stamp of approval right. in this relationship. You know, in in, in fairness to, to her, and I'm sure a lot of people out there listening yeah. right now are mad at her, a lot of people back into polyamory, they find themselves arriving at it. And just like you became poly under duress, you were given this... Basically an ultimatum that if you want to continue to see me, you have to accept yeah. that I'm an, now in this relation with the other person. Often the person who issued that ultimatum, you know, they were doing it the way they're supposed to do it. They were having, you know, noncommittal sex, no relationship, no intimate yeah. entanglement. And it just sort of bubbled up and they caught feelings that they weren't seeking. Yeah. And then, oh my God, what do they do? And so they go to their primary yeah, partner I- and they say, ah, this is the reality now and I'm sorry about it, but ah, I'm not going to dump – this other person, and so yeah. you're going to have to eat it. And that sounds terrible, and a lot of people out there are probably shouting DTMFA as they listen to you and they listen to me. But I just know so many people who are happily poly, long-term poly relationships, primary partners, or non-hierarchical. And yeah. the beginning was much like the beginning that you described. One person fucked up, yeah. did it wrong, caught feelings they weren't supposed to have – Didn't terminate that relationship, didn't try to cauterize that wound and went to their primary partner and said, "Okay, this is our reality now. Are you in or are you out? And, you know, those people who are happy in those relationships going forward stayed in. They went from PUDs, poly underdress, to happily poly, HPs or whatever. Um, But it took some time. And, you know, the question in a moment like that is – and the metaphor I always use with friends who found themselves in a similar circumstance – is your partner went and bought a house without telling you about it. And that's a shitty thing to do. That's a major purchase, right? And you need to – you can say to your partner, that was a shitty thing to do. You shouldn't have done that. Now let's take a look at the house and I'm going to decide if I want to live there. And it might be that the house they bought is somewhere you want to live. (laughs) If you can separate your anger at them having purchased that place without consulting you from the place itself – And make an independent assessment of the place itself. Is this house appealing to me? Is this a place I would have wanted to live if we had negotiated it? (laughs) And and, and house shopping together? And if the answer is yes, and if your partner isn't in the habit of presenting you with fait accompli, and issuing ultimatums, and this isn't a pattern but a rupture, and it's not going to happen again, and you can have a conversation about that. Right. And if your partner's apologized to you for impulsively buying that fucking house and I'm torturing the metaphor now, maybe you can move in there and be happy there. <laughs> but if you're forever going to yeah. be angry and resentful about the ultimatum, about the fait accompli, about the purchase of the house without getting to go house hunting yourself with your partner, if you can never let go of the anger, you're never going to be happy in that house and you should right. not move in there with them.
2: Okay. that That's... Makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about separating the anger of the ultimatum from actually enjoying um, the circumstance we're in now.
3: And do you enjoy the circumstance you're in now?
2: I do. I kind of like the idea because I like commitment. And I I like the idea that you can have multiple commitments.
3: And for a lot of women in polyamorous or open relationships, it's riskier out there if you're just impulsively jumping into bed with testosterone-soaked dick monsters. And a lot of women, I think rightfully (laughs) so, aren't comfortable – Just hooking up with strangers. And so it works better for a lot of women in opposite sex open relationships to have some sort of connection, intimacy, familiarity, or to have one regular other partner. And this guy has a wife, so he's not trying to run off with (laughs) your partner. And so he seems like a, a safe bet for your wife to have an intimate ongoing connection and it's it, it, or your wife your girlfriend your, your partner um and, and it's a really good sign that when you brought up this double standard when you're with him i'm not supposed to contact you and let you have that time but when you're with me there's a steady stream of texts, and she and that immediately opened her eyes to the fact that she was being dense and inconsiderate yeah and taking you for granted and she stopped right she changed her behavior yes
7: yes yeah, she did These are all really really good
3: signs going forward. I don't think you're crazy if you stay with her. Fente company ultimatums, demand that you pay this price of admission. Uh, I don't think you're crazy to stay with her. This sounds like a house that you could live happily in.
2: Oh, Dan, you've made my Tuesday so good.
3: (laughs) Well, thank you, and uh, thanks for answering the phone. We know that we call people from mystery numbers uh, and people don't recognize us. We always (laughs) appreciate when people pick up. Talk to you soon. Good luck. Give us a call back sometime and let us know how it unfolds. Okay, I will. Thanks a lot. Bye.
8: Hi, Dan. This is a 33-year-old cisgender straight female living in New York. Um, I am calling because my boyfriend and I have been together for about almost six years now. Uh, It's been off and on. We had some gaps within those six years, and most recently, I want to say about uh, six months ago, we finally got back together and things felt different. Therapy on his end was a remarkable thing, you know, doing all the right things like losing weight for your partner and bettering yourself for your partner. Those things finally started to happen. So I feel like for the first time, we are truly in a healthy place and we are moving forward in a actual real way, which was one of my main issues with our relationship in the in the first place was that we weren't moving coming to now where we are finally in a very good place and we've known each other. We know each other better than anyone knows anybody else, you know. And my main issue is that he still has never introduced me to his kids. Well, I understood before because we had, our relationship had these big tumultuous upswings and downswings and there's a big age difference with us, which always made things a little bit complicated. But it's it's fucking time, Dan. Like I have brought it up as many times as I'm willing to bring it up, because there's only so many times you can do it before you're just being pestering, I guess. But also, he's not fucking doing anything about it. Like he says he is. He promises. He promises. And he and I know he does in a way mean it because he wants this problem to not be a problem anymore. And he does want us to move forward, but he's terrified, I guess, because, I mean, I can't, I can't sympathize or empathize. Or I think I have a decent idea how scary it is, but I'm fed up, Dan. I'm just fucking fed up. I'm so tired of, not, of being someone who can't even like, it, it gets, it gets even more complicated. He still lives in the same apartment. God, it's a fucking New York that he still lives in the same apartment. As his ex-wife, because the apartment is so big, there's essentially like an extra wing that she stays in, and he wants to be near his two sons. Like he wants to be close to them. So, until him and I move in together, as we've had such a ultra relationship, we haven't been able to move in together. That is happening soon, thank God. But I don't want to wait for us moving in together to be the time that he introduces <laughs> me to his kids. You know how ugly will that be? Like, hey, guess what? I'm taking you away from your dad but this is who I am. I don't think I should know who they're before, but now where, where I'm at is, should I give an ultimatum? Because that's how angry I am right now. Should I give an ultimatum to say, if I don't meet the kids by, I don't know, the end of the month that I'm done? Because frankly, when I really sit down and think about it, and I, when he's home and I can't go there because his kids are there, like that's just fucked up, right? It's time. What do you think?
3: We just discussed Polly under duress and how that can actually work out. I'm not sure introduce your kids to me under duress has ever worked out. You've been seeing this man for six years. You don't mention how old these children are. You say there's a significant age gap. So presumably he's much older than you are. And perhaps his children are closer to your age than his age. And the entire time you've been dating him, he's been living with his ex-wife. So, still kind of functioning as a couple and co parents. And presumably, these kids are not toddlers. Maybe they're middle school, high school, and still living at home. And he hasn't introduced you to them. Now, you say that, again, you've been going out for six years, but they've been six incredibly tumultuous, conflicty years. And it's only in the last six months that through therapy, some sort of counseling that that you two have found a kind of stable place where the relationship isn't high conflict although the tone of your voice and the frequency of your f-bombs makes the relationship sound really high conflict and, and really dysfunctional and really unpleasant and if you feel pushed aside if you feel like he hasn't integrated you into his life in a way that demonstrates that he values you or respects you perhaps you should end this relationship not as a strategy to force him to finally introduce you to his fucking kids but because you know maybe this six months of peace isn't gonna last maybe this is just the quiet before yet another storm maybe he doesn't and can't give you what you want or make you happy. That said, I I think the point that you raise is a valid one. If he waits to introduce you to these children until the day he moves in with you, they will regard you as the reason he moved out. Are you the reason he's moving out? Are you insisting that he move out and move in with you? Is that a valid thing for these kids to think? Does he want to move out? Six years. How long has he been divorced and he's still living at home? It can't just be about, Wings of apartments. And I'm sorry, anybody who lives in New York with two children who has an apartment large enough to have wings that you can share with an ex where you never ever run into them in that apartment can afford to have two apartments, two smaller apartments. They could have gotten two smaller apartments in the same fucking building probably a long time ago if they were interested in actually breaking up this household. They may not be interested. He may never give you what you want. There are millions and millions of other men in New York, millions and millions of other men who, who don't have children or would introduce their girlfriends or new partners to the children that they do have, who, who don't live with their wives, their ex-wives, or their ex-girlfriends. And I would encourage you to maybe think about dating one of them and stop investing in what sounds like not a great relationship based on what little you shared with us today.
9: Hey, Dan, I am calling to get your opinion about a game that was recently released. It's called Rape Day. And um, it was like released on Steam. I think they've like taken it down now. But it's a game where you can basically like, pose as a serial rapist and go around and rape women. And I am just, you know, I want to know what you think about this. Like, I mean, is this art? Is this free speech? Like, is this okay? Should this be allowed? Like, how did this even come to fruition in general? Like, as a cis woman, like, I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty upset, anxious, like, pissed off (laughs) and upset about this. Like, and I know there's not, like, significant evidence that, like, correlates violent video games with, like, violence in real life, but I feel like, There's no way that a game like this doesn't contribute to, like, violence against women in real life. So I'm just curious, like, your thoughts, like, I mean, and and especially, like, as far as, like, kink, like, women who have, you know, rape fantasies and and, and men as well. Like, is this this, like some sort of, like, can this be like a positive out or I, I don't know?
3: There's no evidence that shows that viewing violent pornography inspires people to commit acts of violence. In fact, the opposite may be the case. And there are a lot of people out there with what we delicately attempt to call ravishment fantasies now. But any effort to replace an English a one-syllable word with a three- or four-syllable word is usually unsuccessful. So when these things are discussed, usually discussed as a, a rape fantasy. In a rape fantasy scenario, someone is – eroticizing perhaps their deepest fears and finding a controlled way to have an experience that provides them with some catharsis and release and control. Control of an experience that they fear happening where they won't have any control. And that can be deeply erotic. Now, this Rape Day video game, which is already being pulled off platforms everywhere, the service I believe that first put it up doesn't really screen or filter the games they put up. But we'll sometimes take a look if enough people freak out and complain and enough people, there's a change.org petition, freaked out and complained, I think rightfully so, about this zombie apocalypse game where the viewer plays some zombie who, to progress through the game, has to commit acts of sexual assault and violence. And it's gone. And you're right. There is some point of tension between Allowing for the fact that a lot of people out there have rape and ravishment fantasies, that they would like to find someone that they can enact those fantasies with in a safe and consensual and controlled way. The fact that there's all sorts of other forms of violence that are portrayed in the media that we don't see a lot of change.org petitions about. I know myself personally will never get over being forced to sit through that terrible killer clown movie It where children are dismembered and murdered on the screen very graphically. It was a big hit. I hated it. There wasn't, however, a change.org petition calling for it to be yanked out of theaters or to prevent the filming of the inevitable sequel, which is, I hear, coming our way. So there is some point of tension between depictions of violence and mayhem, serial killer cultural fetishism is a thing, And a line that that we seem to want to draw and I think necessarily need to draw around depictions of sexual violence, where sexual violence, as in this game, as opposed to Game of Thrones, for instance, is the point. As opposed to a part of the narrative, it is the the whole reason. It it, it is in a non-sexual way being portrayed as the goal and the natural use of the female characters as opposed to a violation or a crime. All that said, I, I am comfortable with this game rape day being banned and I am comfortable sitting with that contradiction that I will allow for. I have even facilitated through conversation with others, the realization in a consensual and non harmful way of a ravishment or rape fantasy consenting adults in private and then only impacting the people who are in that room enjoying that experience in a consensual, pre-negotiated, again, non-harmful way. And the injection into the culture of a game, literally something that makes a game out of sexual assault, at least in fantasy role play, the the, the stakes, the, the consequence, the, the seriousness and the transgressiveness of that act is – you know, It's a part of what makes it erotic. It's a part of what makes I- I- enacting it for someone who's turned on by it cathartic. It is contained, though, to the experience of those two people. This game being loosed on the world, it's not contained. And it's not about catharsis and release. It's not about visiting a terror and then feeling it and walking away from it. It's about that terror being presented to us and I'm sorry to go there young impressionable males who play games as an entertainment as something laudatory and in the zombie apocalypse universe created by the assholes who designed this game as an achievement as a goal unto itself And I'm not okay with that so I am okay with this kind of or this degree of censorship I don't think there should have been that movie yet I wish there wasn't going to be a sequel. I wouldn't, if it was in my power, deny other people the right to sit through that awful film. And you being upset and you feeling conflicted about this in the same way that I feel conflicted about this. I'm right there with you. And I'm sorry that we've all had to even have this conversation. I'm sorry that there are assholes out there who thought that this was entertaining and a fit subject for a game.
7: Hey, Dan and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. I am a 27-year-old cisgender gay male. Um, I'm calling because I have a question about my partner. He is 26. We've been together for a while now. Um, We dated previously in the past, and things were pretty awesome, and we broke it off for a little while. Just because we weren't on the same page and weren't communicating and what have you. So now we have gotten back together and we have tried to communicate more about our feelings and our wants and our needs. And here's my issue. I am personally a pretty sexually expressive person. I enjoy sex. It's just awesome and what have you. He, on the other hand, doesn't seem to get the same joy and fulfillment out of sex as I do. So he is a little more reserved when it comes to things. I try and make moves every once in a while, and he just doesn't really pick up on it. Slash, he doesn't want it. He just expresses that He doesn't care for it at that moment. So I tried to communicate with him and ask him like what he was into and the things he wants and needs out of sexual fulfillment. He enjoys chatterbait, and I'm totally okay with him doing that. And he also expressed to me that he enjoys going to bathhouses. I personally didn't have any experience with a bathhouse previously, but I was open to try it. So we ended up going to a bathhouse and we had a lot of fun and I ended up getting tired about two hours into it and told him that I was going to step outside and he said he would be out there momentarily. So he was in there for two hours after I had left. And it really upset me. And he thought I was being a little overdramatic because it was just a little bit more time than he intended and what have you, right? So I don't know. I guess my question is, I'm a little confused on how to get him to tell me what he's sexually into. Because when we did do that situation, it seemed like we had a lot of fun. But Since then, we really haven't had any sexual content at all.
3: I think you should break up with him, not because he's an asshole, not because he's unworthy of your affection, but because it isn't working between you two sexually, that there's a a disconnect here. There's a failure on his side to communicate. He doesn't seem to be able to communicate. Now, there are guys out there, and sometimes it seems that gay guys are more susceptible to this than others, who have a difficult time with sex in the context of an ongoing intimate relationship. They have a difficult time incorporating sex into a boyfriendy scenario and they have a much easier time seeking what they want, asking for what they want verbally or non-verbally in a bathhouse, in a public sex environment from a stranger, from someone they never have to look in the eye ever again. And it could be tied for a lot of gay guys to their own internalized homophobia or sense of shame you're know, Telling you what he wants, he feels or he projects onto you judgment that you may not be engaged in. You're not judging him. You want to meet his needs. And then he reads that judgment into your actions and he feels every time you look at him that, that you're just looking askance at him now because he revealed this whatever it is about him that he wants as opposed to the guys he meets in bathhouses where he can say, I want to do this, this, and this. And then when it's over, they go their separate ways and he never has to see them ever again. Now, it would be better if he could tell you what he wants and do some of the things that he wants to do with you. And then also, if he's into bathhouses or into public sex, go out and do those things with other people and with you too. You guys could have those sexual adventures together. But for whatever reason, he isn't capable of integrating you into his sex life in any sort of functional way. And the question then for you becomes, how long are you going to hang around waiting for him to learn how to do that or even demonstrate to you that he wants to do that? Someone who tells you that he'll just be a moment and then leaves you standing outside a bathhouse for two hours, even if he was capable of integrating you into his sex life, that's a kind of inconsiderate, assholey move that may disqualify someone or may demonstrate that someone isn't ready yet for a partnership. Because when you're in a partnership, when you're in a relationship, when you have a boyfriend, you have to take their feelings into consideration. And he failed just on that. So how much longer are you going to invest your time and mental energy and sexual frustration? How much more sexually frustrated are you going to become waiting around for him to turn into someone else, turn into someone he's not, learn how to communicate with you? You got to dump him and you got to tell him why you're dumping him. And maybe that will inspire him to get his ass onto a therapist's couch and see if this is something that he can work on or change. May not be something he can change doesn't mean that he's broken. It just means that this may be how he functions sexually, in which case he needs to find himself a partner. And I've met gay couples like this. He needs to find himself a partner who wants intimacy and romance and connection and stability and familiarity in his relationship and not sex. He needs to find someone who is on the same page there. And they both have tons of anonymous or quasi-anonymous sex with other people in public sex environments and bathhouses. And they come home to each other and make dinner and cuddle on the couch, but they don't fuck. That can work, but it only works if it's what both people want and it makes both partners happy. What he's offering you doesn't make you happy, it makes you miserable and this relationship.
4: Hi, Dan. I am a 24 year old cisgendered heterosexual woman living in Southern California. Uh, I am left leaning politically, and I recently started dating a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, For about the past four months, we've had nothing but a wonderful relationship, you know, building in these, in these first preliminary stages. And I, I feel myself falling for him and can foresee a wonderful future with him. My issue is that he and I differ politically. I've known this from the start. He's a little bit more, you know, centrist, maybe even a little right-leaning. He's pro-gun rights. Uh, we differ a tiny bit on hot topics like abortion, but it's come out that we're both very reasonable people and we're able to understand each other's points and we come together in the middle of things, which I have seen as a good sign. My issue is that I learned very recently that he voted for Donald Trump in a State where granted it was a blue state. Uh his vote did not effectively add to the electorate that put Donald Trump in office. But it definitely threw me for a loop. I saw it as a moral failing on his part and made me think about the person that I knew had come to know. And if he and, and I had difficulty trying to reconcile that person with someone who would vote for Donald Trump, he explained himself in certain certain areas when when I was upset with him, explaining why he chose Donald Trump, and I can understand his points in some aspects, but I don't know what to do here i i want to keep dating him and i i can see his his point in some aspects but in some ways i think supporting a person like donald trump is just a sign of moral failing what would you recommend here
3: Joining me in the studio to help tackle this question, because why the hell not Kate Willett? She is a comedian. She has a special on the comedy lineup on Netflix, and you should check out her album Glass Gutter. I follow her on Twitter at Kate Willett. It's Willett with two L's and two T's, and she is hilarious, and she is sitting across from me right now. Hi. Hi. It's so good to finally have you on.
10: It's so good to meet you in person.
3: We've been talking about having you on for years, ever since I heard one of your stand-up routines on the Risk podcast, which I love, and it was so genius, and it's just so thrilled to be with you.
10: You know what happened on that podcast is they cut my abortion joke and then you knew the original story tweeted.
3: Where's the abortion joke?
10: Yeah. And they put it back in. (laughs) It was no, it was amazing. It was.
3: It's a great abortion joke. I'm not going to make you do it because you need to hear it in the context of that. That routine, that clip, that story about going to Burning Man, I believe. Yeah. Uh, where can people who want to hear that abortion joke find that clip?
10: Um, You can find it on the Risk podcast or there's a video version on the show. This is not happening on Comedy Central's YouTube.
3: Look it up. It is one of the best abortion jokes I think I've ever heard. I remember I, it was so good. I remember where I was and what was happening to me when I heard it. Because I was at the gym, and I was listening, and I was taking a drink of water out of my bottle, and I passed water through my nose. Oh, thank you, Dan. All right, so this caller, I got to say, she should have bolted when she found out that he was anti-choice. I'm a gay dude. I wouldn't date a guy, a gay guy, who was anti-choice. I don't understand women dating men. Who don't believe that they, the women that they're dating, should have control over their reproductive
10: systems. It always comes out in their behavior as well. It's not something that is just an opinion that somebody can have in their head. It always comes out in the way that they
3: treat you. Because it means they don't see you as fully human, fully a person, fully an adult. Yes. Who should have full control. Absolutely. And as a woman, you don't want to be with somebody who doesn't believe that you should have control.
10: No. I mean. It's
3: a good talismanic marker for run, run. Run. Run.
10: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that people with small political differences can date each other, but this is not a small political difference. This is a huge moral difference choice. Yes.
3: And now there's this difference around dude voted for Trump.
10: Yeah, gross.
3: Get do, rid of him. Uh, do you think there's ever a, a case, a scenario where you can fuck sense into someone? You know, there's a lot of people out there who have shitty, retrograde political beliefs. It's what they were raised with. They're from an environment where that wasn't ever challenged. And then they, you know, they move to the big city and they start meeting people with different beliefs. And if those of us with differing beliefs just cut them out and cut them off without ever engaging, they may never realize that they're full of shit. I mean, I know a lot of people and they're you know, late 20s, early 30s, who were embarrassed by the things they believed when they were 21. And in some cases, they got into arguments and friends knocked sense into them. But in some cases, they dated people who fucked sense into them. Can you fuck sense into a Trump voter?
10: Ah, I mean... Maybe you could, but why would you try,
3: you know? <laughs> but why bother?
10: Yeah. I mean, I think that this caller deserves to be happy and be with someone who really respects her and is going to treat her well. And it doesn't sound like this guy is going to be that guy.
3: And I don't think any man who voted for Trump after what we know about – here we we're, the, the day we're talking, there's a new uh, – Ronan Farrow's reporting in The New Yorker. There is a new woman who's come forward and accused Trump of sexual assault, of kissing her without her consent. And And without (laughs) – and and this wasn't – this isn't new news about Donald Trump. Everybody knew this in the run-up to the election. All of these women had come forward to say that he had sexually assaulted them and any man who voted for that asshole after learning all of that, even setting aside the racism and the xenophobia – can't be trusted with your pussy.
10: No, no. I mean, yeah, it's not your job to save him with your vagina. Um, I think that he can, could learn from having sex with you, but he could also really learn from being dumped by you, and I think that's the way to go. Can
3: we talk about that for a second? Yes. It is not your job to save some shitty dude with your pussy. Yeah. There are a lot of women who seem to think that they're, they were given pussies to, to go out there and redeem dudes.
10: Yeah, I was one of those ladies for a while. Yeah.
3: If, if you dated him, if you fucked him a couple of times and he's a a a mess and an asshole and a basket case, it's your responsibility to, to to take care of him, to fix him, to repair him.
10: Yeah, I mean, I I have never had sex with a Trump voter. Definitely not. But um I have had sex with a lot of people who, I don't know, maybe had um some issues with women or a lot of self-hatred. And, you know, I, I never. Fixed anyone?
3: I just (laughs) hurt myself. Pussy ain't magic. I'm constantly (laughs) having to tell women this on the show. Like your pussy is not uh, chemotherapy, and he's got like dude leukemia, and if you just give him enough of your pussy, he's going to be cured of his dude leukemia. Like a guy is in good working order, and he's a decent dude, or he's not. And it's not like add your magic. It's a kind of narcissism, I think. A lot of women believe that there's something like magic about them or their pussies that they can like save a guy with it.
10: Yeah, a lot of us want to be like the person that turns it all around. You know, just like, oh my gosh, how pretty would I feel if I were the one who saved this guy from depression and alcoholism? And
3: his own assholery. Yeah. Or his voter registration.
10: Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's just, I've never heard of that path working out well for
3: anyone. I do think the two people in a relationship can become, can can grow to become better versions of themselves. Because it's almost like when you first meet somebody, you're on your best behavior, you present your best self. And then if they stick around, eventually they see behind that facade and they see who you really are but in a way you kind of have to live up to that better person that you were trying to sell them on the first date first couple of months and in that process of trying to live up to the lie version of yourself you can become that better version of yourself marginally
10: yeah you can get like 20 percent better but you can't go from like zero to 80 (laughs) yeah
3: you can't go from anti-choice doesn't give a shit about sexual assault trump voter to anybody you call her should want to fuck
10: yeah like find someone who's like a, a pretty good listener, and then teach him how to be a very good listener. You know, like that's like the level of uh, improvement that someone should be uh, trying to to have in a boyfriend. I
3: you think you can pry someone's ears open, but not their brain.
10: Yeah, exactly. Or their
3: heart. <laughs> yeah.
10: And you should have something to learn from them, too. It shouldn't be like a one way street. I think, you know, in this case, it's like you just want this guy to learn from you and um, accept your beliefs. But I think it's so much more fun to find somebody that also inspires you that you feel like you could learn from. So it's a two way street.
3: The danger you're running caller, in addition to you might not be able to fuck the Trump voter out of him, is he might fuck the Trump voter into you.
1: Yeah. Gross. Get it away. Run. Yeah. Hi, Dan. I'm a longtime listener, this straight woman in a major city. Um, and I have a question about best practices for ending a relationship where two people live together. Um, I've been in a relationship for two and a half years. I currently live with my boyfriend, but it looks like that relationship is coming to a close for a variety of reasons. And I just feel so daunted by like how we even do this. Like how do we split up our life? I want to keep the apartment. I'm going to try to keep the apartment. I don't think that he's going to want the apartment. We have a cat. Like I just, I just don't know. And what do we do for those weeks or whatever between when one or both of us gets a new place and we have to live in this one bedroom apartment. And I don't know, I just don't even know where to begin with it and would truly love any and all advice for splitting up our apartment in the most amicable way possible.
3: I have no recent experience with this do you?
10: No, not really. I've only lived with one partner, and that was a while ago.
3: Did you have to break up while you were living together and, and figure that out?
10: Yeah, but she hated where we were living, so she wanted to move out, and I wanted to stay, so it worked out great. Okay, okay we're done. Bye. Yeah, and they were exactly. out the door. Yeah. All
3: right. I did have to live with someone once after we broke up for six months, and it Ugh. was awkward. And I think what the caller wants is for us to wave a magic wand and take all the awkwardness away. And there's that. That's never ever an option. People out, you know. How do I break? How do I do this? How do I do that? It's going to be awkward if I hit on them and they don't into me. Then it's going to be awkward. And people are always trying to game out how can they can have adult relationships or end adult relationships without there being any awkwardness. And it's just impossible.
10: Yeah, I mean, I think there's ways to make it less awkward. Like I was thinking during this call, if she's keeping the apartment and uh, he um, is cool with that, maybe she can give him a month to get his stuff out and go stay with some friends during that time. I mean, sleep on a couch, even sleeping on a couch is going to be way better than like being there. You Particularly
3: know? if it's a high conflict yeah. breakup, if it's yeah. contentious, yeah. if you guys aren't able to stick immediately, in the amicable, we're going to be friends in the future breakup, which I think can be harder if you're forced to interact with each other every day, especially if you're the one who got dumped and you're forced to interact every day with the person who rejected you, you may start to say shitty, things out of anger and cause you're in pain.
10: Yeah. I think, you know, just prioritize your self care over any kind of pride. Get out of there. I mean, even and if you have to find a totally new place, I'd say get out. I mean, yeah, it could be hard depending on your city
3: and cut the cat in half. Yeah. And there are other cats.
10: Yeah. I mean, you know, I've met people who have done like kind of pet visitation, Joint custody, and it just seems like it's so not worth it. Yeah, especially not for a cat, like maybe for a dog.
3: Not for a dog. I'm either. gonna
10: get hate tweets for that, but
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wait, you had a relationship with a woman and you are anti cat. I thought
10: <laughs> I'm not anti cat, I love cats, but like, would but you I have rock- a
3: hierarchy of pets where yeah. cats come below dogs?
10: Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I just. There's just not a cat that I would want to have an ex still in my life for.
3: That's what I understand about people who do the shared custody of pets thing. I, you know, I have a friend who used to share custody of a dog, but one had moved to L.A. and the other one had moved to New York. And they would literally fly across the country once or twice a year just to hand the dog off, Ugh. which seemed insane.
10: Yeah. It but, seems like a way of staying connected to that person.
3: Right. Right.
10: And I think you can be friends with your exes, but the most successful friendships I've had with exes were after, for me, a very long period of not talking to them. You know, give it six months off, and then when you see each other again, you're happy to see them, there's not resentment, and you can really start that friendship off on a good note.
3: But there's no way of avoiding the awkwardness of right this minute for this caller. You guys just broke up, you live in the same place. The one piece of advice I would give you is to, acknowledge the awkwardness to specifically say aloud this is going to be awkward yeah and we should do whatever we can to minimize it but it's gonna be awkward and if i need to go stay somewhere else i'll do that if we need to you know not figure out what to do with the cat later whatever we can do to minimize the awkwardness of this moment we'll do but there's no way with we'll power through it like acknowledging it you know, it's when people pretend that something ain't awkward that it gets 10,000 times more awkward. Totally. Like I'm a virgin and I didn't want them to know that I'd never had sex before. So I didn't tell them cuz I thought if I told them it would be awkward and the other person's like perceiving your inexperience and nervousness and not being able to talk about it makes it much worse and I, more awkward.
10: Yeah, I I totally agree. I think that this kind of situation could be made infinitely more awkward, though, if it turns into, like, a month of crying and processing the breakup during sex. I've had that, <laughs> and that is really horrible. Oh, you
3: don't recommend that?
10: No, I don't recommend that. I don't recommend, like, endlessly talking about the breakup and having sex with each other and crying. Like, try to just be, like, distant, It sounds polite. like fun,
3: though. The, the, the way you're talking about it, who could resist <laughs> endlessly talking about the breakup and having <laughs> sex with your ex and crying? It sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah.
10: I, uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's it's hard not
11: to do.
3: Some lessons you have to learn and relearn. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Dan.
11: Mid-30s straight guy on the East Coast. I've uh, not ever had a problem, really, with ever getting it up. But, uh, I mean, a couple of times in the past, but two of which have been relatively recently with this one girl that I've been hooking up with a little bit. And... I want to be as delicate as possible, but she is taking it extremely personally. And I'm just trying to say to her, I just want to say it's not personal. It's not you. It's that we spend so much time doing foreplay that is concentrated on you. And there's never any attention paid to my cock during this. And especially if we've, been drinking and we go back, you know, to, to her place, there's kind of a window there. And if we're messing around in the cab or messing around, we first get back to her place and I get hard and then there's no other attention paid to my cock during, you know, for a, for a certain amount of time, then it kind of goes away. And it that's OK, if we're doing foreplay to please her, I'm very happy to do that. Trying to be very GGG, but what happens is she'll just put her hand on my cock at some point and be like, Wait, why aren't you hard? You've got a naked girl next to you. Why aren't you hard? And then she'll go get dressed and take it very personally. And I'm trying my best to say, It's not about you. There's a lot of different things going on here. And again, this is not a problem that I've had in the past. So how do I? Tell this person, listen, she's, she's great. She's fine, but there's a window. I'm trying to tell her that, but she can't get over the idea that it's, it's all on her. And it's, it's, and she's taking it personally and she's crying about it. I'm trying to tell her not to, but then part of me wants to be like, well, it's kind of your fault because as soon as you put your hand on my cock and it's not rock hard after, you know, 30, 40 minutes of foreplay without any attention paid to mine, then you're making a big deal out of it. And then I start thinking about it, and then it really doesn't happen.
3: I'm going to let you go first.
10: Why are these people having sex with each other? It sounds awful. He's full of resentment, she's full of resentment, and then they can't even hate fuck. Why? Why continue?
3: Does he have grounds to resent her?
10: Uh, Be fair. I think the way that he's expressing it is gross. Uh, I think that... I, I think what's
3: gross about the way he's expressing it? It, it. Like, let's, let's imagine for a second, just thought experiment that this is a call from a woman who has this dude and foreplay is all her sucking his dick and stroking him and eating her butt, whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, when it comes time and he wants to fuck her, she's dry. She's not lubricated. She's not around. She's not turned on. She's been doing all this work. They call it a blow job, not a blow fun. And the genders were reversed here. And she was like, dude, you haven't paid any attention to my pussy. Of course, I'm not ready to go. Would would, would our reaction be the same? Would your reaction be the same? If I mean, she spoke of her boyfriend in the same terms that this guy speaking of this woman that he should never see again. I agree with you there.
10: Yeah, I think that even if the genders were reversed, it would be a weird way of communicating. Like if a guy wasn't going down on me and i need that before sex i think i would try at least once will you go down on me without the like world of resentment and and indirect communication that i hear in this call
3: doesn't sound like he's communicating well especially if he's saying to her listen you're great but there's a window like what window are we fucking talking about here what you need to say is i need some attention paid to my dick so i can sustain erection and dude you can pay attention to your own dick while you're eating someone's pussy I have it on good authority I have seen the videos at Pornhub while you are eating someone's pussy you can stroke yourself yeah but I have to say also based on my experience here with many 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 callers the guy who strokes himself while he's performing cunnilingus to stay hard whose girlfriend is the kind of woman who says what you have a naked girl next to you why aren't you hard is the same kind of woman who calls me Because her boyfriend has to stroke himself to stay hard while he's eating her pussy and thinks it's a problem that he's touching himself. And that if he was just turned on by her, he wouldn't need to touch himself. He would just have a magic erection 24 hours a day.
10: I have had that experience where I felt insecure because someone wasn't getting a boner. And, you know, I could say that. I don't think it works in those situations to really talk about it. Like you have to just kind of self reassure in those situations.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Boners, I like to say. Are, they're kinda of like Tinkerbell. Yeah. The more you clap for them, the yeah. like, the longer the, the, the harder they are, the they live, live, clap, clap, clap live. And if you look at a boner and you say you're a dick and say, Where's the boner? Yeah. That doesn't bring the boner. Yeah. That's not clapping for Tinkerbell. No. It doesn't make it shine brighter. Yeah. And I say that as a person who has a dick. Uh that said stop fucking this person. Yeah. Like she's lousy. And I'm sorry. She's bad in bed. Yeah. If it's all foreplay is all paying attention to her and her being kind of a doomy bottom who lays back and lets you do all the work. And then she expects a magic erection. When she's ready, she's kind of a lousy, inconsiderate, non-reciprocating, not GGG lay herself. And why are you wasting your pussy eating magic time on her?
10: Yeah, but he sounds like a lousy lay too. And I don't mean because he can't get a boner. I mean because he is not communicating what he wants without making it. Poisonous, you
3: know. He's waiting until he's so stewed in his own resentment, yeah, uh, and you know, anger about being shamed for not having the boner when she wants the boner, that this relationship is now poisoned by this conflict, and he just needs to run from this woman. It's not yeah. going to get better. But he, the piece that he's missing to be a good and decent lay is that communication piece, right? Yeah, like, there's a lot of guys out there who don't do any warm up, who don't think that they should have to do any warm up, who think that the sex should all revolve around their dick. And this guy obviously doesn't think that. So he's miles past a lot of shitty dudes.
10: Yeah. But the missing piece is he's not using
3: his words. He's not communicating in a constructive way.
10: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I just think with any sexual thing, it's worth like framing the request in a positive way, at least a couple of times. And then if the person is a hard no on something that you really need to get off or have a good time, then you're just not compatible. You're That's not it.
3: compatible and you yeah. should head for the exit. Yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, anybody who shames someone about their genitals? yeah regardless of who they are or what genitals they have is a shitty sex partner. And it's very shamey to say to somebody, why aren't your genitals absolutely perfectly ready at this precise moment that I am ready for us to commence the fucking, whichever direction that goes in, that's a shitty thing to do or say. It's your job at that moment to like figure out what your partner needs to get ready to get there. Whether your partner has a dick or a pussy.
10: I also think that there is kind of a lie in our culture about... um, Just
3: one, and we're going to unpack it right now. Oh,
10: yeah. No, I just, just, you know, not trying to brag here, but I've slept with a lot of guys, and uh, dicks don't always work. They just boners can be hard to come by sometimes and I think we're like kind of fed this lie as women that like oh you know like if we're pretty enough then they're just going to be like always there whatever but like there's a lot of people in antidepressants there's a lot of people who get nervous there's a lot of people who need an emotional connection before they can feel totally safe having sex like there's a lot of stuff going on and it doesn't help to think that it's just all about how pretty you are.
3: And dicks are less likely to get hard in a context where the dick must get hard. Yeah. Where everything's going to collapse. Yeah. It puts a lot of pressure on a dude to be hard. And if the dude, and I say this is somebody who has sex with dudes, you know, wants to be intimate, wants to be close, wants to touch, wants to do other things, wants to roll around, wants to focus on your pleasure because their dick's not in right now. The dick's not going to get up right now. That's a potentially great sex partner if you don't make a huge federal case and scene yeah. out of the boner they don't have at this moment. If you do that, they're probably never going to get hard in front of you because they're going to be so anxious yeah. about having to be hard in front of you that it'll never happen.
10: It's terrible strategy at minimum. Yeah. Yeah.
3: If you want somebody to be hard with you and they're not, don't freak out about how they weren't hard with you that one time. Exactly. Because then they'll never be hard with yeah. you. Yeah. And dude should date somebody else.
10: Yeah. Yeah, date someone who likes to get flow jobs, you know, and maybe she should date someone whose whole thing is like eating Servicing. pussy. Like, there's guys that are like that.
3: There are definitely guys out there like that, uh, and they would make a great partner for her. But again, I want to get back to the like flipping the genders on this because, you know, if a woman was dating a guy who expected everything to be about sucking his dick and stroking his dick and getting his dick ready and he didn't pay any attention to her at all, what would we say about that guy? Um, <laughs> what word, what, what single word would you attach to that person?
10: Probably selfish.
3: Not asshole? I was going to go with asshole.
10: I mean, I you know, honestly, Dan, I don't know if I've just slept with a lot of bad people or whatever but i i think that the situation that you're describing um is the norm at least for young women good point good point so i think that you can't actually reverse the genders totally fairly because like by the time you're coming into you know whatever sexual experience with a guy like you've probably slept with a lot of people who didn't prioritize your pleasure at all and so you know you can sort of react to it by being like you know, I'm never going down on a person again. And I mean, that's not like, that's not the like fun answer that makes you a good lover. And, but yeah, yeah but that's I don't a know. really
3: good point. And, you know, there's part of this question that we've been reacting to that's about tied into her shaming him about his genitalia. And that is always almost in reverse, too. It's almost always men shaming women about their genitalia. So it isn't honest of me or accurate of me just to say, let's flip the genders and freak out about this because the norm is not any pension being paid to her or her pleasure not being prioritized. There's the orgasm gap in straight relationships to talk about. Uh, And the norm is the shaming usually goes in one direction. Yeah, and... But that doesn't mean that she's somebody who should keep fucking this person. No,
10: yeah, I mean, it just sounds like it's a resentful mess and, you know, whatever cultural issues may be at play or maybe, um, you know someone is overcorrecting for whatever like it still is not fun why are you having sex with someone if it's not fun and
3: break up with her now before you have an apartment before you have a cat exactly Before it's going to be much more awkward (laughs) and don't break up with her in an angry way say look I just don't think I'm the right sex partner for you yeah and like you said Kate I think that's really smart there are guys out there who all they want to do is eat pussy and it makes them rock fucking hard the whole time you're not that guy you like to eat pussy because you're a giving partner but not because it's a huge turn on for you yeah doesn't keep your dick hard you focus on the pussy eating you enjoy giving that pleasure but it does doesn't just make you rock fucking hard she needs that guy that eating pussy makes him rock fucking hard and ready to go you aren't that guy yeah the fuck up agree (laughs) i'm glad we could come to terms (laughs) um thank you very much for dropping by thank you it was nice to finally meet you in public people should follow you on twitter at kate willett that's willett with two l's and two t's and where can people find more of your stuff online
10: Um, so you can find me at katewillett.com. I have a bunch of tour dates up. I'm coming to Massachusetts. I'm going to Scotland. I'm going to London, uh, San Francisco, bunch of dates coming up. So come to a show, find me on Instagram, kate.willett, and hopefully I'll get to meet you in real life too.
3: And for my listeners, for people who heard us talk about it, would you please tweet out when the show goes up the link to your best abortion joke ever?
10: Absolutely. Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Hi, Dan. I'm a 22-year-old cisgender, heteroflexible female in the Pacific Northwest. I'm calling because I'm wondering if I should invite my mom to my college graduation or not. In the past year, I just have not been speaking to her for about eight months, and basically it spurs from the fact that uh, in December 2017, Um, We were going on a trip as a family and about two weeks before my mom revealed that she wanted to leave my dad and we still all went on the trip anyway overseas and it was terrible. It was really traumatic to be stuck with my family for two weeks straight when none of them would let me be alone and my mom was just being really rude to my dad. On top of this all, she's also become very paranoid. She thinks that her boss is spying on her. She thinks her neighbors are spying on her. And since they've separated, she thinks my dad is tracking her on her car, which these are definitely not true and very weird. And I decided to stop talking to her because the, not only the way she treated my dad, but last time she saw me on my birthday, she told me the only reason I was doing so well, getting internships and graduating, and the reason I'm successful is all because of her. And then she also told me that the only reason she supported whatever I wanted to do in my career was because I was a woman and she was upset that my brother wanted to pursue a career as a teacher because he's a man and he needs to provide for his family. So these comments made me really upset. I kind of let a trial run happen with my mom and my dad and her mom when went to see my brother's orchestra concert and it was really tense and she and her mom are really rude to my dad. I just don't want that happening at my graduation where we're going to be spending time with my whole family, meeting my boyfriend's whole family for the first time. And I want to celebrate my day and I don't want her to make it all about her. So do I have to invite her? Cause it's a big milestone or can I just leave it at the point where I'm just, still not speaking to her and you know, let it be.
3: You don't have to invite your mother, at your graduation ceremony, period the end you get to decide who you want to invite Currently, you're not even speaking to your mother. Maybe she doesn't expect an invitation. Sounds like she probably does, though. Your mother sounds a malignant personality disorder or something. Your mother and her mother as well. And you're not obligated to inflict them on your boyfriend, your boyfriend's family, your dad, yourself, classmates, your professors, president of your college or university. You have to recognize, though, that by not inviting your mother to this milestone event that she feels rightly or wrongly she deserves some credit for you are nuking that relationship for the foreseeable future and maybe that's a relationship you want to nuke if your mother's a toxic person and you want her out of your life well this is a pretty effective way of communicating that fact to her it is a door you're closing though that when you nuke something it's pretty much fucking over forever you want to terminate your relationship with your mother don't invite her if you don't want to terminate your relationship with your mother if you don't want to nuke it Then find a way to contain her. Invite her to the ceremony. Don't tell her that there is a dinner afterwards where your dad and your boyfriend's parents are all going to have dinner and celebrate with you. Don't invite her to that and run a little bit of interference. Don't let her know about it. Don't put it on your social media or whatever else. Those kinds of secrets typically don't keep very well and she may end up finding out ultimately. and, And then the relationship is nuked even though you tried not to nuke it. But if you want my permission not to invite your shitty, toxic mom to your graduation, if that fills you with stress and anxiety to even contemplate, you have my permission not to invite your toxic, shitty mom to your graduation. And oh, by the way, congratulations on your graduation. All right, your tweets. Mari Blank tweets, I can't believe at Fake Dan Savage has incorporated the term doggity style into his vocabulary after that weird Australian call back in December. Believe it, Mari, believe it. The best Catherine tweets, listening to Savage Lovecast and playing, do you agree with Dan with my roommate? Kind of a boring game because Dan's always right. I don't even think I'm always right, but thank you very much for that endorsement. And finally, Eva Cook tweets, if sex ed was as cutthroat, informative, and funny as fake Dan Savage's Savage Lovecast, we'd all be better daters, partners, and probably humans. Do yourself and your SO and your Tinder data kindness and get them clued in on the Savage Lovecast. Your romantic life will thank you for it. Thank you, Eva Cook, for that endorsement. Eva Cook tweeted that out after coming to Subject Love Live in Vancouver. It was great to have you. Hope you enjoyed the cake, Eva. And finally, this one didn't come by text. It was submitted to me on a question card at a live show. My father was offended when you didn't cite me by name when you mentioned my sexting research in the New York Times. I credited researchers at Drexel University. I should have credited, and I am now crediting, Dr. Emily Stasco, Ph.D. Thank you, Dr. Emily, for your important work. And now your response calls.
12: Hi, uh, I am calling about the girl who all of these men's dirty rooms and apartments that they've been in. So I am a housekeeper for over 60 people right now. And before that, I was a cleaning lady. So I can personally tell you that single men in their 20s and 30s, specifically single men, are really some of the filthiest people on this earth. And you know what, something that you didn't bring up, although I can't blame you because it doesn't get talked about a lot, is that these boys being raised to be slobs, often moms aren't teaching their sons to take care of their stuff, to change their sheets. I, (laughs) I can tell you that my clients who are single men, often don't change their sheets there is usually you know tissue paper lying around there's all sorts of nasty things they don't do their dishes and it's so prevalent that it has to be socialized there is no other way it is so common so yeah uh yes you can be turned on and in fact you can say something about it because it's gross and more guys should be told that they're gross and their homes are gross it's just a fact
11: Hey, Dan, calling about um, your caller who was kind of freaking out about her, her her husband telling her that he likes to wear women's clothes. And it's like, man, she just needs to really take a breath and relax. I mean, I know uh, transgender is what everybody talks about right now every all the time, and it's fine. That's fine. That's something that needs to be talked about. But whatever happened to just cross-dressing, people cross-dressed? The, my current girlfriend is straight as an arrow, straighter than I am, but she has a big fetish about me wearing woman's underwear. That just turns her on. Doesn't mean that either of us is transgender in any way, you know? So yeah, just get freaky, you know, transgress. Cross-dressing is fine. Hey Dan, I'm calling you on episode number 647 and the lady with the crappy cousin who's running the crisis pregnancy center. Please tell her to let her cousin know I just started making a $20 a month donation to Planned Parenthood in honor of her crappy cousin.
3: And we're going to leave it there. Hey, everybody, my Dirty Little Porn Film Festival, Hump, is coming all over the place this week. We will be in Nashville, Denver, New York City. Go to humpfilmfest.com to get your tickets. And Spliff, our new film festival made by Stoners, for Stoners, has announced the official lineup of films and will be coming in April to Denver, Seattle, Portland, and San Francisco in May. Go to splifffilmfest.com to find out more. And get all right, 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz, 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Kate Willett on Twitter at katewillett 2 ls 2 tvs The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at-risk youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.